Anthony. So we have echoes of this extended Christmas, don't we? Uh, in that English carol, The Twelve Days of Christmas, with its 78 unusual gifts. Well, actually, if the thing happened in your house the way the song says, it would be 364 gifts because each day includes the repetition of the gifts from the previous day. So imagine the care and housing, there's been some funny skits of this, for a few hundred birds, and all those maids and lords and ladies and pipers and drummers. That would be unexpected presence. And an unexpected presence in any house. So that's a play on words, yes. The unexpected presence. I had it as a title for today's message. Some of us have likely been given gifts that are quite unexpected. Maybe even this Christmas, where you have to kind of look and say, thank you. (laughs) Maybe not so good gifts, or maybe wonderfully good gifts. And perhaps some of us have even had unexpected guests at the holidays. An unexpected plus one, or maybe even someone who shows up with no invitation at all. So today's scripture is about both unexpected guests and unexpected gifts. And today's scripture can seem, I know, like a little bit of a fast forward from Christmas. The babe in the manger, like that, all grown up. Our scripture today is just one of many recorded stories from the life of Jesus. As in today's story, Jesus did and said unexpected things in his short life on earth. He amazed the people around him, even his own family. And then awe and wonder continued with the action and words of the early church as CBC has been studying in Acts the past Sundays. But long before Jesus' birth and and all through the book of Acts, God did unexpected, unexpected things. So when I was considering today's message and this very simple key biblical truth, that God is able to do more than we expect or ask. It seems so simple. Echoing scripture. When I was considering today's message, I was especially thinking about what Dick challenged us about in early November. To expect and ask for a greater working of the Holy Spirit. And that led me to think, what do you, what do I truly expect that God could do in and through our lives, in the lives of people around us? What might God do in 2020? So let's look first at the passage that Jeff read earlier, Luke 5, 17 to 26. And again, 728 if you're using the paper and not a phone. And as you... As we turn to this, it's helpful to note that um, the same story, as is often the case, is found in Mark and in Matthew, which both add other details. So there's 33 Jesus miracles in the Gospels. Eleven of those are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there's 15 other miracles at least, recorded in the book of Acts, miracles. And they're all quite unexpected. They're all sounding, don't miss this, they're all sounding quite strange 
to most people in the 21st century, at least in our part of the world. But something to consider is they were very strange to the people then and there as well. So here's the setting for today's story. Jesus is teaching. He's in Capernaum, said to be his hometown now, according to Mark and Matthew. He may even be in Peter and Andrew's house, some suggestion of that, which is too bad considering what happens to the house later. All three accounts note that the audience that day included teachers of the law, so religious teachers from as far away as 100 miles to the south from Jerusalem itself. Everyone is crowded together in this house, so much so Mark tells us there was no room even to get to the door. Then comes this group of desperate friends carrying a paralyzed man, coming with expectation, coming with a lot of expectation, so much so that these friends do something very unexpected. They go up on the roof, remove the roof coverings, and do an aerial delivery right, into the house from above. There's such great imagery in this story, right? Here's one depiction of it from the 19th century French artist James Tissot. There's the paralyzed man in a cloth sling. hope you can see that a bit. With his arms hanging straight out, being lowered into the middle of the crowd. And his head is turned. He's looking to the side, so we look to the side too, And there's Jesus with his hands out in welcome. Could this man even speak? We don't know that. Did his friends call out his need from up above, from the roof? We don't don't know that either. He obviously has a physical problem. He, He can't stand up by himself. His friends expect that Jesus could heal. Well, don't you think? They must certainly have been hoping that they wouldn't have to haul him back up through the roof. They've heard the stories. Look back in Luke 5.15, just a little earlier, where we read this about Jesus. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Yeah, they have expectations. But what Jesus said next was unexpected. Luke 5.20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, Your sins are forgiven. There's a sentence that has puzzled people for centuries. Jesus saw their faith, and then he tells the paralyzed man before anything else that his sins are forgiven. Jesus is not connecting the paralysis with sin. Make sure you catch that. He had an earlier encounter described in other Gospels with a man who was blind, and he was asked directly, is this man blind because he sinned? And he said, no, this is to show something of God. So here it is again. Before he tells the paralyzed man anything else, though, he says, your sins are forgiven. It's quite unexpected. For those waiting up on the roof, this probably wasn't the reason they brought their friend to Jesus. And what was the man on the stretcher thinking? For the teachers of the law gathered all around, what Jesus said was, it it was more than unexpected. It seemed to them and pardon this, but true, it seemed to them to be a lie from hell, quite literally blasphemy. And they're correct, partly, in what they were thinking. Who can forgive sins 
but God alone. So Jesus goes straight at that thinking, who can forgive sins but God alone? With words that that may challenge our own expectations of God, what he said next is is actually the reason, at Christmastide, that I chose the scripture this morning. Jesus answered, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And this question is actually the turning point of the story. So if you don't mind, we'll sit there for a moment. Just pause the action just a bit. Which is easier for God, to forgive sins or to heal? For those people at that time in that house, this was probably a question that Jesus meant rhetorically, a question that was saying something by itself, not necessarily expecting anyone to answer it. Yeah? Because what this question did was it drew this big, bold line connecting God with Jesus, connecting God with the healing Jesus had been doing. Look, many in the crowd likely heard that Jesus was healing people. The man on the roof obviously knew that, man on the stretcher. That news had spread. But so had the rumors and the slander. Questions about whether Jesus was healing with the power of God or was a fake or something darker. So for the people there, they would likely trip up on the question of forgiving sins, not healing. That's not something they expect Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. Nor, if you think about it, nor would the forgiveness of sins likely even be visible, if true. A physical healing wouldn't be visible right there, right in front of them, right? Which is easier, to forgive sins or to heal? That same question might be completely turned around for some of us in this part of the world at this time in history. While we may come to know and experience God's forgiveness through Jesus and, and, and have the Spirit's transforming presence in our life and in our relationships, how much do we actually expect God to act in visible ways in the physical world? It's also good to highlight something else here. The idea of God taking action in the physical world is a very strange idea to many people, including perhaps people that you and I know and care about. Sometimes it sounds strange to us. In different seasons of our lives, our expectation of what God can do, what God might do, can grow dim. Our expectation of God to act becomes faint. We may lose hope that God can and and might intervene, do something supernaturally, invisible in human lives. But on the other hand, what about this idea, the idea of God having expectations of us? What about the idea of sin? The Bible teaches that sin's living out of bounds from God's best intentions for humans, living out of sync with God, living disconnected from God. But listen, Talking about sin to people you and I know and love sometimes sounds like just human words. Sometimes it sounds like people using the idea of God to control other people's behavior. 
In that thinking, Jesus' words about the forgiveness of sin may be unwelcome as well as unexpected. Dick reminded us last week in his message, any encounter with God is two-edged, isn't it? The possibility of deliverance, yes, but also the risk of upending our expectations of what God might do. The words of Jesus about sin were likely also unwelcome when Jesus first spoke them in that house on that day. Unexpected, pardon me, and unwelcome by the teachers of the law. Unexpected and unwelcome by the friends of the paralyzed man. And let's not forget him, please. The paralyzed man himself outstretched there on the stretcher. So Jesus answered, which is easier, your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And then verse 24. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, meaning himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So then he said to the paralyzed man, wait for it. Here's the moment of tension, right? The moment of truth for the teachers of the law. How will this overturn their expectations of God? For the friends, for the paralyzed man, for all those watching and listening. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he did. Verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home, praising God. Note, he was praising God. Verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. Notice that they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. They were amazed. What they saw was remarkable. What they saw filled them with awe. What they saw was not the usual way of things. What they saw was extraordinary, which is extraordinary, yeah? As Mark writes it, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. It's good to note, right, that even in those pre-scientific times, people did not expect what they saw that day in that house. What they saw was supernatural. Supernatural in one definition today means attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding. In the middle of that crowd, beyond the laws of nature, as they're named, the people in Capernaum lacked scientific understanding. Okay? But they did know ordinary life. They did know how life usually went. And what they saw in that room was out of their everyday experience. So our key biblical truth, again, God's able to do more than we ask or expect. So it's good to consider with this image, these words, this story in front of us, what do we expect? If we assume, of course, that God is, and not everybody we know starts there. If we assume, of course, that God is, how do we expect God to act? For me, I consider two words that people use to describe God. Others have taught on this here, and I'm remembering especially now David Deal's excellent and clear teaching on this. And you might know these words already. It may be in a different context. But jump on these just a moment here, because it shapes how people look at God, people you know and love, and even ourselves. 
So transcendent and imminent. So transcendent is from above, higher than, independent. Sometimes we talk about an athlete whose abilities transcend all others. We might speak of a moment in our own lives that stands out as a highlight and transcends all other times. What's it mean, however, if we say that God is transcendent? So this is the idea that God exists both above and independently from all creation. This is important. Stay with me here. As many of you know, beyond normal human experience. So what the Jewish and Christian scriptures teach, reveal, is a God who's supernatural, other, alien, way beyond the ET sense, not a creation of human thought, existing before humans and all creation. This is how God has revealed God to humans through a long series of encounters in the Jewish and Christian scriptures and throughout church history. But those very encounters also reveal that God is not distant, not silent. This is a God who interacts with humans. So another God-describing word is imminent, at the same time, existing or operating within, dwelling within. John says this, writing about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, transcendent. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Imminent. Emmanuel. So the birth of Jesus, all about Christmas, is God action into our world. So I have two questions I'm going to risk here in a moment for you to answer by raising your hands. We're talking about a God different and separate from us in all creation. At the same time, we're talking about a God dwelling with us, even within us today, through the Holy Spirit. So these two questions I have might sound really basic to some of you. If you've grown up in the church, if you've known church language a long time, they might sound very basic. But they might sound very strange to others. They might sound especially strange to some people that you and I know and care about, depending where they are in their journey. And for that reason, they could be interesting questions to ask other people to start a conversation so I'm going to take this risk here. I'm going to risk that some of you can personally answer one or both of these questions from your own experience. And to do that, I'll ask you just to raise your hand in a moment, if you're willing, to show your own experience. You ready? What do we expect of God? Raise your hand, if you would, if you have personally experienced the presence of God in your life you mind? There's a lot of hands here. Look around. And that question is, does God interact with humans? Think about that a moment. That is a big step for some people we know even to consider. Does God interact with humans? Here's the second question. Raise your hand if you have personally seen, hang on to the end, God answer prayer in a visible way in our world. Change of circumstance and unexpected provision, even of physical healing. Does God interact with the physical world? Thank you. A lot of hands up. Maybe these two ideas and the raised hand are out of sync with your current worldview, including some folks who are going to hear this later, some friends of mine. Your present view of who God is 
and how God acts. Maybe it's out of sync. But those questions might also stir up a longing for yourself or for others you know to have more from God. Can this be real? For those here today, you might consider asking someone who raised a hand near you to tell you more about their experiences after the service. How do they know that God interacts with humans? How do they know that God interacts with the physical world? For others, don't dismiss out of hand these two questions. Because, and here's another thought as I turn the corner here. Something much on my mind. Because I love and care about people who are tone deaf right now. Or even that's hard to say to God. Because in the air we breathe around us is a worldview of God as unknowable if God exists at all. Some images here I'll share, but also speak about. In this first worldview, the physical world is, of course, knowable to some extent through our senses, through science. But God just isn't knowable, certainly not through the same way. This might be an agnostic view. Maybe God exists, but we can't know for sure. Or it could be atheistic, a view that God doesn't exist at all. So one observation here I've been thinking about lately. Much of what we can consume in our culture, in books, music, video games, television shows, movies, media streaming, online, is in this first worldview. I'm not culture bashing here, okay? I'm not culture bashing. Just observing how things are. There are many engaging stories in art and books and music and videos that may not explicitly have any mention of God. But consider a moment what you may have watched or read lately. You spend some time in the world of those stories. You spend some time with those characters. Do the characters in that story have any reference to God in their lives? Does God act in the story? Do the people in the story interact with God? Is God present to them? With few exceptions, probably not. Over time, if you and I have no reminders that God is at work in people's lives or in the world, we can forget that this is actually how things are. We can forget. The Spirit of God will nudge us. Perhaps people who God brings into our lives will nudge us. Maybe we'll hear a story like Cheryl's. Prayer can recenter us. Reading about God encounters in the Bible recalibrates us. I know I'm really glad for the preaching of Dick and others that I can catch on podcasts here when I can't be at church. It helps me remember. For those who think that God is unknowable, God is irrelevant to everyday life. That's stark hard words to say, but you and I know this is true. There are no expectations for God to act and to interact in human lives. But there's a second view sometimes also reflected in our culture. And I have to jump to this because I forgot that slide. Second view can be a stepping stone away from the first view and toward the reality of Jesus. In this view, God is out there somewhere. Supernatural, yes, but distant. Transcendent, yes. Imminent, no. There's no interaction by God with the world or with us, with you and me. That God is 
silent. A distant God who may have started the world, but then stepped back and lets it run by natural processes. A God who does not act now in the physical world. There's no expectation for God to act in either of these. God may exist in that second view, but doesn't interact with us. And there's no expectations of God. But neither of these worldviews matches the God described in the Jewish and Christian scriptures. These ancient texts that we have that record God encounters. The second worldview, sometimes called deism, here's a thought, is one that even Christian believers may gradually adopt without even realizing it. And if so, it becomes a step away from the God of the Bible. God doesn't act. God won't act. Maybe God can't act. A step away from Jesus. A step away from expecting God to be at work in this world and end our lives. So in the Jewish and Christian scriptures, there's, there's a, a really different picture. It's a God like unlike anywhere else. A God that's transcendent and imminent. The supernatural comes to human through prophets, through unexpected events, through Jesus, through the Spirit of God. Changing our expectations about relationship with God. Changing our expectation about what God might do in your life. So God revealing God in Jesus. But it's a different sort of knowing, isn't it? It starts with asking. It starts with taking a risk of expecting an answer. To ask God to reveal God. But you know what? A lot of people in this room already know this, and some others who will hear this later. That request to know God more is a request that delights God's heart. Are you there, God? Is it actually possible to interact with you? Are you actually at work in this world? The beautiful words of the book of Isaiah come to us from across the centuries. They're breathed out by God through human authors. Listen to this from the 57th chapter of Isaiah in the message. A message from the high and towering God who lives in eternity, whose name is holy. I live in the high and holy places, but also with the low spirited and the spirit crushed. And what I do is I put a new spirit in them and I get them up and on their feet again. So we look again at this image of the man being lowered down in front of Jesus with his arms outstretched. Where do you find yourself? Where do you think people you love and know are at? Is God present? Or turn that around. Do you have any expectations of God to be present, to act in your life, in the lives of people you know and care about? I like Anne Lamott's writing a lot, and she has... a writing about the three basic human prayers. The three basic human prayers. Three basic things humans say to God. Help. Thanks. And wow. Help, thanks, and wow. It's a basic vocabulary. We're sometimes that man on the cloth stretcher with our arms outstretched. Friends may bring us there. And sometimes all we can do all we need to do is turn our head and look for Jesus. So on this sixth day of Christmas, 
the middle of Christmas tide. May we expect the unexpected. I pray this for myself too. May we expect God's presence more and more in our everyday lives, right amid our circumstances. May we expect God and may we ask for more for our own lives and for the lives of people we know and love. We pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. And raise our expectations for the coming year. Thank you, God.